Hello and welcome back to the Skinner Pod. I'm Bobby Howard, joined today by the Doctor Jameson Maxwell and the Titan of Takes, Mister Ty Lee. Look, guys, it was Survival Saturday across the entire landscape of college football, and it was no different in Norman as the Oklahoma Sooners survived the UCF Knights, thirty-one to twenty-nine. So on, on today's show, we're going to dive into Saturday's game, preview it, uh, the upcoming game against KU. But first, let's just go ahead and answer the big question of the day. So, Jameson. Was this performance just a one-off stinker, or do you have deeper concerns with this team? I think that both of those statements can be correct, and I do not blame you as an OU fan if you want to look at both of those more closely. Yes, you can say, hey, this was a good wake-up call. We didn't have kind of a game like this, even if SMU was similar to it, to where we had a close game and won it at the end, something we weren't doing last year. But on the other hand, yes, we saw some weaknesses. We saw some big plays, some gaps in our defense. All of these things we can dive into and learn from. But at the same time, you can also say, hey, at least we got the win. Let's move on to next week and try to learn from it. Ty? Look, I think we had a great performance. I mean, USC came in favored, but we did what we needed to do and then walk off field goal. To, to take the win Shut over Lincoln up. Riley and his bomb defense. <laughs> I think we played great this weekend. Go Utes. <laughs> okay, that's funny. Um, no, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think with OU, it obviously last week was, or last game out against Texas, obviously a big deal. Everyone talks about the OU, like Texas hangover thing. Hasn't been an issue since 99. We're 15 and 0 in those games. We were like not a hangover. highly ranked. It, it's not, it wasn't a hangover. I think ultimately it just wasn't a, a great performance all around. I think when you're in mid season, you kind of have a bit of lulls here and there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's not this, this team isn't perfect, even though that Texas game was great. E there were moments of that game that weren't great, like that Texas game wasn't perfect even. And I think at times you have to kind of remember to reel it in a little bit that even though we are in a really good position to you know, make a run at a Big 12 championship, college football playoff, it, it's still a process. It's still not quite there where it needs to be. Um, and yeah, like UCF. I feel like they threw the kitchen sink at this one. Um, they've had, you know, some good performances in the past, some bad, obviously. Uh, just look at that Kansas one. But Gus Malzahn is a solid coach who knows how to really go all out for games like this. And I think you saw it in the offense there that UCF was was pretty what gave gave OU a really good shot. They they have some there there's there's the bones of a really good team there. It's just not really reflective in, of that record, I think. Can I just straight up say this is not a Texas hangover? I'm tired of it. I really am tired of hearing this because we are coming off a bye week. So if you want to say hangover, this is a bye week hangover. I don't think this is a Texas thing. Like they have moved on like as fans, you know, I'm thinking about the Texas game and I'm like that feels like a long time ago. Imagine if you're an OU football player and you've had to go through Schmitty practices for the past two weeks. You think that you're still riding high and you didn't care that much for this game on Saturday? It's absolutely not a hangover. It might just be they haven't played a game in two weeks. I think that's more accurate. I mean, I think that's fair. I, I think that I think that definitely is fair that, you know, part of it is a little bit of rust. But, you know, I, I think it's... It, it, if anything, it, it doesn't have to do with Texas itself, but rather like, you know, you don't have, I think you, when, when you're winning, when you're six and oh, you lose that kind of chip on your shoulder. 
uh, that you had when you're trying to prove all the doubters wrong, all this sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe that kind of, I don't know, underdog gritty type of mentality just maybe wasn't quite there as much, but um, overall, I, I think, and I think we could just go ahead and dive right into this. I think a lot of the issues were uh, on offense and I, I feel like, especially at that, at the very start of the game, um, there was an opportunity where the defense was really rolling and we could have really put, you know, turned the screws on UCF and really put the pressure on them, but it just never formulated early. It allowed them to get John, John Reese Plumlee going, allowed them to get that offense going a little bit, that confidence. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think about that, Ty? I, so I think overall, um, and, and this rolls into the offense, I did feel like maybe there was an element of of maybe getting too cute to it with it. I think Bobby, you're onto something when you talked about losing that underdog mentality. I, I think this team is built on being a very fundamental, very good, not necessarily exceedingly great in any one position group, but just a very good team in every group complements each other and we just do fundamentals really, really, really well. And I, I saw a lot of things. We'll get into it on the defense a little bit. And again, this is my opinion, my reading, but I think we we lost some of that in beating Texas. And I, I saw it on, I think this is a big point on the secondary, although not to discredit UCF, but I, I think we tried to get too cute and we tried to move away from a little bit just being fundamentals. I think we thought, you know, I think there was some element of thinking, oh, we're special, we can just make it work and we can move away from just the discipline fundamentals and try to get an interception or try to get, you know, let's just go out there and in four plays we'll score a touchdown or whatever play we call is going to work. It's going to score on this team because Texas was the only team on our schedule. Let's just coast through. And that's just not how it works. Um, and it really, I think that's, I mean, that's my read of it. I think we thought we could go out there and go through the motions and uh, we had to have a little reminder in this one. Thankfully we're still a win um, that we still need to go execute no matter what name is on that schedule. We could have played better. I'll say this. Yeah. Was there a somewhat of a, like a portion of this game where I thought we were going through the motions? Yes. But at the same time, I just think that there are some deficiencies, especially on this offense that just, showed their really ugly side for about three, three and a half quarters of football. You know, we continue to talk about the run game in the first three quarters. I was just not stunned by it. It really broke open in the fourth quarter as Gavin Sawchuk kind of got his moves going and Marcus Major started to make a couple of good runs. But we, I feel like we got into way too many third down situations where we couldn't convert. We didn't convert on nine third downs, and that, I feel like that's been a strength of ours this season. Uh, it's this offense. It just felt a little bit sluggish and it just didn't, it seemed really choppy. I, I was struggling to find a groove for us to kind of get into a uh, momentum. Um, but it wasn't really there. Yeah. I feel like early on, especially like that first drive felt very embolic of, um, getting too cute with it. Um, Jeff Levy sending out Gavin Sawchuk, a guy who hasn't played a ton. Um, and granted had a great game to end it. Uh, I feel like he got, he, you know, got comfortable, started performing well, but, you know, throwing him out in the wildcat, you know, ball slips through his hands. That's just kind of a, mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like that that's just a really tough position to put somebody in that early um, when they don't have playing time. And it just, I don't know. It was a weird move to me. 
Um, I, I disagree with it, Bobby, though, because I think that shows confidence within Gavin Sawchuk, and they're trying to take a next step with this running back room. Why not go out there and put the ball in the hands of a guy that they felt like he could be an RB1 in the, in the offseason? Remember the talk about him in the spring and what we were talking about as a podcast, the Gavin Sawchuk, I thought personally that he was going to be getting the first snap as a running back for game one. But then he got the injury, and then he seems like he wasn't truly healthy. But the way that he was looking and cutting just by the eyeball test makes me think that this is a guy that we can see more of and overtake Marcus Majors getting 18 carries. I think Gavin Sawchuk can start tearing into that guy getting, you know, 14, 15 carries and a couple catches because the way he looked on the field made me have a little bit of hope for this running back room moving forward in proportion in comparison to what they've done at the beginning of the season. They still have a lot of weaknesses, but I still think I saw some things from Gavin Sawchuk say, yeah, put him in the Wildcat at the beginning because I want to see this guy pushed to his boundaries and see if he can go out there and make plays. I, I see where you're coming from. I just think early on when you're trying to set a tone, it was just a little little too risky, a little too much for me. Um, I like I risk. Just, I think it's good. Risk is fine, but like just run, just hand the ball off to him, run up the middle for a little bit. Establish is that work for us this whole first. season, though? Get comfortable. Well, okay. Well, I mean, I it did that- when we did it with Sawchuck towards the end. Yeah, when it, yeah, it did work. It's and I mean, um, Central Florida's defense really kind of just got bogged down. But I I I don't damn Levy at all. It didn't work. I do. But guess what? But guess what? That's just how football happens. Some sometimes you know you do things and it doesn't work, and you're like, oh, Levy made a horrible play. But guess what? You know, one thing goes like if he picks the snap better, and one block gets ha- like you know blocked a little bit better, and it's a big time play. We're like, wow, I really like this change of pace. This is something different. You know, it's it's a lot of, you know, what ifs, obviously, and I'm playing hypotheticals here, but yeah. why not try something different whenever the same thing that they've been doing for the whole beginning of the year hasn't worked to begin with? I'm tired of doing that same thing. I think I just don't like the Wildcat. I, I, I you know, don't know where that came from. You know, my my distrust of yeah. the Wildcat. Who we knows? Where, who, Wildcat. Oh, yeah. No, I wonder where that came from. But um, no, I just I, I, I just thought it was silly, but it, it's it's one play out of a bunch. Uh, so I don't want to hyper focus on it. I, I will say I really, really enjoyed Sawchuck throughout the game. You know, that last drive was excellent. Um, obviously, a kind of weird situation in the running back room. Tawi Walker did not play, uh, was serving a suspension, apparently, uh, for a from what I under, what, what I understand, a um, I think it what how did they describe it? It was a like a like a conflict with a coach or something, I, I think. I don't know. It, it hopefully they can sort that out and get it back because I love Tommy Walker. But um no, I think Sawchuck is an exciting, definitely exciting prospect going forward. If he could get some more burn, more more confidence, it looked like he did at the end, then maybe we can solve this damn running back room issue. Well, and here's one thing on, on the run game, and I'm not a hundred percent on this. Uh, th- there might be a stat here or there that it proves this wrong, but one thing that we've had all year when it comes to the run game is a very robust run game from Dylan Gabriel. And whether that was a, an OU coaching decision, you know, whether with a, with a game plan or whether that's something that UCF truly shut down, but Dylan Gabriel, you know, registering 10 carries for 22 yards, I think that is his season low for yardage. Um, and that's just not, you know, he had a couple good runs uh, here and there. It did look like he was intending to run less than in previous games. So I think we have we've dialed that back a little bit, but UCF seemed more prepared than other teams 
uh, for the Dylan Gabriel run threat, which isn't, you know, a huge one, but it's, it's certainly one that's been relevant this year. And I think UCF central Florida being able to, to mitigate that. I think that certainly put the spotlight even brighter on this running back room that has been struggling to say the least um, throughout the year. Yeah. And I, I will say you're right that Gabriel was not uh, effective as a runner. You know, as, as you mentioned, 22 yards, 14 of them came on one carry. So, you know, eight yards on the other nine carries is not exactly, um, you know, terrific. Um, he did get sacked a couple times if I do recall correctly. So that obviously affects it as well. Um, but overall, you know, he has kind of been our run threat. You know, we haven't had a running back really st- step up and be that guy. So I, I don't know if you want, you probably don't want to have Dylan Gabriel be your main run guy. That just doesn't seem like a solid strategy for a guy who can be a little injury prone, but you know, when he is not there, you do lose a massive aspect of that offense. Mm-hmm. He was sacked three times. So, I mean, I, I understand you want to say Dylan Gabriel, I don't want you to be like your main running threat. Well, duh. Like, unless you're like a superstar sure. quarterback who's like, I don't know, like a Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson S. Like, you don't want your quarterback to be your um, number one running back option or running option, but our running backs just need to help supplement. He can still continue to do what he's been doing this whole season. And I want him to. And I want to continue giving him the ball in these running situations. But at the same time, I just need to see more production from a running back room. You know, UCF might not be our best barometer of that. Their defense has not been there. It's not been there at all. So I'm trying not to take too much from what this running um, game did versus them into account. And obviously next week versus Kansas is going to be a similar story, a very similar setup team, in my opinion, to what UCF brings to the table. So mm-hmm. I just I just think that you can have both. I, I agree. And look, while we're, while we're on the topic of Gabriel a little bit, I, I thought his his performance wasn't really bad, wasn't really great, just kind of pedestrian, you know. Three was the touchdowns. interception even his fault too? No, like it was absolutely it was more not. so Stoops, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it was all on Stoops, right in the bread basket. Should have caught that mm-hmm. thing. That 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 was not Gabriel's fault. But three touchdowns, two hundred fifty three yards, sixty five point five QBR, just not, you know, twenty five for thirty eight. Just it was just an okay day, and that's fine, you know. I I, I think that, you know. Last year, we would have called this a pretty solid Dylan Gabriel performance. Um, his standard has improved a little bit. Now he is like in the Heisman conversation. Uh, definitely, like, I, I think if it were today, he'd probably be in New York and be one of the two guys up there. Um, one of the main two. Uh, Michael Penix also had a really bad game yesterday. Woof. But, uh, Michael Pen- I, I should I should rephrase that. Michael Penix actually had a really bad game yesterday. Dylan Gabriel had a okay day. Um, and that I think, you know, is pretty promising. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of what you see. This is like if this is the worst we see out of Dylan Gabriel, I think we're going to be pretty good this season. Mm-hmm. I, I actually kind of disagree. I, I think the stats don't bear it out. I think he had uh, a pretty good game. I, I don't know that his performance was necessarily too much off what it's been. There were definitely some questionable throws. I think in the third quarter, um, there was like a series of four throws that were all just kind of, I don't know what was going on, but I saw a, little, a lot of really impressive things from him. So stepping up in the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield, keeping his eyes downfield as the play evolves and as the pocket collapses and 
and some other things that we haven't traditionally seen, you know, in years past from him, in year past from him. Um, and like we touched on, you know, interception, not necessarily his fault. And then, um, you know, again, I, I kind of put this off more on, on the game plan and to Central Florida's credit. They did a really good job covering um, our receivers. I, I think we have to remember, you know, we're also seeing the first full game of Andrew Anthony being out, who had sort of mm-hmm. cemented himself as a very workman um, WR1. And, and we saw, you know, maybe a bit of a down performance from Drake Stoops, especially with that interception that he caused. Um, and I think he had another drop as well. And then, you know, Nick Anderson sort of had to step up to the plate. Statistically, really, really good game from Nick Anderson. But I think there were a lot of Dylan Gabriel things, and not to make excuses, but that you can pin a little bit on the receiver room having to find its legs again and and figure itself out. And then also just some of the game plan. Again, I think we were starting to use him a little bit differently. We definitely, I think, intended to run him less. um, And we were doing some, some different throws and some stuff that, we don't typically do. It was just sort of outside of the rhythm um, and, and sort of the, the chemistry that this offense had established, whether it be from injuries or anything else. So I, I do think there needs to be a, I'd put a bit of an asterisk on this, you know? Yeah. It was maybe his worst performance all year, but um, I don't necessarily know if too much of that was, was his fault. Sometimes, you know, you go for a walk and it rains and that's not really on you. But he's going to be living in a rainy situation right now because losing Andrew Anthony is going to be a hard thing for him. We aren't batting too many eyes at it because Nick Anderson is this darling, and he had another great game. But in reality, our outside wide receivers are becoming weak. It's as simple as that. Jalil Farouk has not shown to be consistent throughout this whole year. And what we heard from him in the offseason, a.k.a. not that much, you know, is starting to rear its ugly head. He's so talented, but I'm not. I'm tired of seeing these games where it's three catches, 23 yards. I want to see seven catch games from Jalil Farouk. Andrew Anthony was stepping into that role of consistency for us, and losing him is a big, big deal. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like, I, I think a lot of talk around uh, Anthony's injury was, oh, we have depth, we'll be fine. And I think the depth is still there, but you can't afford to essentially have – Everyone can't have a like a down game in the same type of ways, you know. I, I think, I think he's a way bigger hit to the offense than I think people kind of get give him credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it'll take some time to adjust because Anthony clearly was the, like the number one option for Gabriel, um, and having that number one option, having that comfortability, is obviously huge for you as a quarterback. He was turning into yeah. a possession wide receiver, you know, which we didn't really expect coming from him from the uh, off season. But now I feel like the depth that we have behind him are guys that are kind of go out and make plays, but are they the guy that are going to get you 11 yards on a third and 10 like Andrew Anthony was doing? Jaden Gibson, I feel like he's a guy you send up the seam and you might get a couple of deep balls, but I don't know if he's that same kind of, I go out there and I run a good curl route or a good, you know, corner route and I can get yourself a third down 10 conversion. So that that's, I feel like that's going to be our biggest, missing piece right now of our offense other than our run game yeah i'm not typically one to use nba analogies but i feel like in in watching this running back room i feel like we have as a group just one of the best off the bench teams in the league but we just don't have those those starters i mean drake stoops is great don't get me wrong but we're we were having to sort of force him into you know more usage than he's typically you know, really solid for. And then Nick Anderson, you know, just very, very young and definitely starting to get his legs about him. 
and and had a you know like we said a statistically very good performance, but uh, there were some other times where he was targeted and it it just didn't materialize for whatever reason, and um, you know not that it was a bad performance, but it's a he's never been in a situation where he has been the WR one and you know Andrew Anthony like we just talked about didn't necessarily always have the super flashy stats. But like Jameson touched on, like I was kind of touching on, he was very workman. He was very the WR1 that was the first look that made the thing happen. Yeah, he didn't always get, you know, big breakaway touchdowns. Some of that was schematic. And he wasn't always the guy who got the looks when we were down in the red zone. But he was the guy that converted first downs and got you into the red zone consistently um, and just sort of statistically was suffering from sort of our our scheme that we tend to run. And, and I think we saw a big emptiness with him, especially when you start to look at third down conversions. Uh, Cause I think that's really the important stat. Like we touched on earlier in the podcast to look at as the big point of failure on this offense is the fact that we were getting to third down so frequently and then just having, um, you know, such an abysmal time uh, converting on it. We were seven for 16 on third downs. Yeah. I, I, I will say this again, and I really want to hammer this in. The next level to this OU's offense, OU's got a good offense, but taking it to the next level is relies solely on one player, in my opinion. It's Jalil Farouk, no doubt in my mind. If we can get him being consistent possession wide receiver, other than just this guy who can go out and make a play once every quarter, he will be the guy that takes OU's offense to the next level. Right now, it's not there yet. Yeah, and yeah. He's, doing, he's doing like once every business quarter. Uh, once every game quarter would be be pretty acceptable as well. Yeah, that ain't it, Chief. Plays a game. We got we got to pump it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say I I did think Nick Anderson. This was a, just an incredible game for him, though. Just he continues to do it. This this is becoming just keeps getting though, better. Right? I mean, yeah, it, it it's it's pretty exciting and it's good to see because you can have a couple big performances. You have a big performance against Tulsa. You can have a clutch catch against Texas, but. It's like that progression, that that continued improvement game after game. You're just really seeing it out of the guy that he can be that big play type of receiver that we wanted. I mean, I, I can't remember which pot it was, Jameson, that we were talking about this, but you're like, we need to see this guy get more receptions. No, he, he's getting touchdowns, but you need more receptions because it's working. So mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of came a little bit um, on Saturday, but um, I think there's still more room for improvement, more room for production. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely room. He's in. He's got to be the MVP of the offense, right? Give him the game ball. I, yeah, I, I yeah. Let's give it to Nick Anderson. I, I think that's yeah. almost like a pretty, pretty uh, unanimous game ball. If you ask me. No, 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 no. Ty's scheming right now. No, uh, I just, I, I just want to mention. I, I want to work in before we move off of him. We have his game stats up there. You know, five receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns. But we have to keep mentioning his season stats, which are just monster at this point. 16 receptions, 387 yards, eight touchdowns for an average of almost 25. It's it's crazy. This this game actually sort of watered down his target to touchdown ratio. I forget what it was. Uh, but his his two touchdowns. He has sixteen receptions and eight touchdowns. Well, let's do some. Let's do some. Oh, quick it was above. It was it was at it was, like sixty two. It was eleven. It was eleven to six, and now it's two to one. So it's it's obviously <laughs> yeah. it, it, we lost it by we we have one extra reception on top of our ratio right now. But still, it just makes it even more significant because he got another two touchdowns. It's Unreal. it's just honestly ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, just 
just pretty nuts, you know, uh, as a freshman too, you know, that's just absolutely unreal. So you just, you just love to see that. That's has to be so exciting. Um, it, it, it's, it is exciting for the future for sure. You know, get Jackson Arnold in there. It's going to be even better. I think. Um, all right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else to talk about with the offense. I, I, I will Does say talk I, about the O line. Uh, no, for real. I think it's time we have a conversation. This O line is not very good, or has moments of being not very good. Um, run blocking. I, I don't think we give. I don't think we give the O line enough hell for how bad the run blocking is. It's and, it is. It's what's making our running backs look worse. I feel like we've had this conversation mm. a decent amount, and even like on our rankings pod, Bobby. Am I wrong? Did, haven't we had these conversations? Mm. We have definitely talked about it. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying, like, overall, we should talk about it more. Yeah. Um, to be and, fair. Yeah. Go ahead, Ty. Number one defender of the line on this podcast. Really? Marcus Major is our RB1. He's had some great lines at OU, and he's done the same shit. So I don't necessarily <laughs> know if we can look at Marcus Major's stats and what? point at this line when we had some very, very good lines that he also got carries and was just constantly <laughs> registering zero yard carries. It's for the record. He very yeah, rarely gets just... tackled in the backfield, but he very rarely makes it beyond the line of scrimmage. He's like a he's like a human spike the ball but not stop the clock. I'm so confused what that even means. <laughs> I, I think I know what you mean a little bit, but yeah, I, I don't know. And you know, I, I gotta ask Jameson, like, you know, as the you know, pretty big, you know, obviously recruiting corner guy, we'll get to that later. How much of this is a recruiting issue? Do you think some of it's a beaten bow issue? I mean, he's been kind of one of those untouchable type coaches, but at what point do you start kind of wondering what's going on here? No, it's not a recruiting issue. I think we continue to believe in beat and bow. I think exhibit A is what he did with Anton Harrison, just went as a first-round draft pick like in the draft last year. This guy was a borderline four-star, and he evaluated him and decided to turn him into a first-round pick. Offensive linemen, in terms of recruiting, is just not a good service because when you go out there as a scout, you're not looking really in too deep to these offensive linemen and their foot, like their footwork and how they move and their hips and whatnot. No, you're looking at the flashy plays. You're looking at the guy who's six foot seven left tackle and is mauling and making pancakes. Those are the guys that get big stars. Obviously, there's going to be big guys who go out there and don't make pancakes at all the time. That's I understand that. It's just not the same. You can't compare offensive line recruiting to everything else on the football field because it's just so hard to evaluate. And I think Bill Bimbo will continue to get guys that maybe not be as highly rated, but I believe in his ability because he wants guys to go into a system and be able to move their feet and be able to play the way that Bill wants to play. And not every single guy that's a top 100 offensive lineman can probably play. Exhibit A, Bray Walker. Right. Yeah. Bray Walker is a monster of a man, a five-star tackle out of Oklahoma, and we had to move him into the inside at guard because he couldn't play tackle, and then we realized we couldn't even play him at guard. Like, you know, athleticism and size and stars does not mean anything, I think, in my opinion, at the offensive line position, unless you are a top 10 guy, and it's obvious that from the beginning, like a Caden Proctor, you know, like an Andrew Thomas back in the day, like these guys you know are going to go into the league immediately. Right. And like, you know, I, I mean, to be fair, we also got Caden Green, you know, just recently, big time name, big time uh, recruit. Uh, he's still young. 
and it takes time to develop and grow from, you know, just the physicality wise, there's a difference between, you know, someone who was playing in high school a year ago and someone who's already played a full year of college football, that it just a total leap. Um, it, it, it's just very hard unless you're just naturally gifted to be, you know, physically ready for college football that young. Uh, it, it just takes some time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, it's one of those where obviously, yeah, we keep getting good prospects. Anton Harrison was massive, but it, it's like the full line just hasn't felt like complete in a while. Bobby, I think you were touching on, on an important thing. And, and this is why people really tune into this podcast because we're so deep into the, the analytics in the stats that just people aren't considering. Um, and, and you really got to look at, at the bigger picture and, and you got to look at the fact that we're in 2023 right now. And in 2012 is when they started introducing those, that, that like healthy lunch thing at schools and, and clearly what we're seeing is that's finally starting to impact college football. And we're just not getting the big boys like we – they're just not built the same way they used to be built because uh, these are the kids that grew up on the, the healthy lunch at school or whatever. They're not eating pizza every day and, and getting big. And it's really starting to see the impacts uh, just now, you know, 11 years later because, uh, you know, these, these kids that were growing up, you know, eight, nine years old are now playing college football. And they just haven't been fed the way that you know they used to build them. Gerald McCoy was Schooner Pod stuff. is too political. Gerald, I'm tired right. of this. Are we, wait, are we blaming are we, best OU player of all time? Are here. we blaming Michelle Obama? That's for, what I'm thinking. Right we're, now. we're blaming Michelle Obama's. No, no, no. I didn't mention any names. I didn't mention she's, any she's, names. She's destroyed our offensive line. <laughs> just get. I love it. Tin foil saying, hat time. The, the Obamas saying, are what's causing OU to be bad. Let's, let's get to the, the defense right up. now. Oh my up. god! Yeah, let's. Let, we we already had our game ball. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the defense a little bit here. You know who um, didn't eat the healthy lunches? Jeff Levy, who needs to be fired. Oh. Well, I, I don't know if he made it, we made it fired, but if he pod. moved on, I wouldn't look if he moved on and we kept um and we kept Jackson Arnold still like it wouldn't be it wouldn't break my heart. You know, it, for me, I, keeping and then if we wanted plug to in do Seth Luttrell instead, how, we could have kept Josh Heupel if we wanted someone who would just call bubble screens and not understand running backs. I think it's Jeez. extremely crucial for a quarterback in the future of an overall offense to have consistency at the coaching positions. So people calling for people's heads whenever we're doing decent at this point, you got to also realize the repercussions that it comes of implementing a new system. Not everyone can get a new offensive coordinator slash defensive coordinator slash head coach and immediately turn into success. So just realize if this is what you truly want, be able to stick in it for a couple years because it's going to have to be an investment. So people right. who want reactionary takes, think about it before you actually say it. And I, I'm not calling for his head. I'm not saying I want him gone. But if he did leave and we did put a guy who has a similar offensive mindset in Seth Luttrell, I wouldn't be heartbroken. You know, because that's still kind of the same bear raid type of vibe. He's familiar with the university, obviously, from his time there. Uh, he's currently there as an offensive analyst. I, I'm just saying it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, as long as Arnold doesn't go with wherever Levy went. That is the I, only I problem. That would happen. Yeah, uh, you would hope not. But anyways, uh, let's let's move on and talk about the defense, though. I, I'm with you. Um, a spotty performance. This is kind of we and, and we've we've said this about the defense a lot is bend but don't break mostly. 
and that it's it's mostly a pretty solid you know defense that does a lot of really good things, but still gets beat a couple times. I I feel like this is kind of a very in a way par for the course like mediocre all right performance for the defense. Um, because I thought there were some good parts for sure, but there were the bad parts were significantly bad. They were breaks. They were bust. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Jameson? I think that it's really the big play. That's just, it's as simple as that. You know, those are the ones that really hurt us. If if you're just looking at in between the tackles and take, I mean, obviously this is obviously if you take out their big plays, this game looks completely different. I'm not saying that, but if you're just looking at us in short yardage situation and whenever we're not making bust, I'm still very happy with this defense. And that still makes me feel like I can be optimistic that we can just kind of, you know, obviously football is a game where there's going to be big plays, especially like the offensive UCF. Like this is a good offense guys, you know, like them making big plays. They've got players like Javon Baker is an absolute stud of a wide receiver. We knew that coming into the game, you know, so like they're going to get big plays. That's going to happen. But at the same time, let's just prevent it where there aren't as many as there were in this game. Yeah, I, I think this one, and this is an analogy used a lot in, in looking at safety and in a lot of industries, but if you guys are familiar with sort of the, the Swiss cheese model where just a lot of holes have to line up to sort of create mm-hmm. that that point of failure. Um, you know, I think like Jameson said, you remove even as many as four just outlier plays and we have a completely different uh, defensive performance. And then Central Florida, you know, all, all respect to them, when things click for them, they've had a really good offense. They've just been sputtering and, and really struggling to, to make things click consistently. And I think we saw a, a very, very good game plan, a very good execution from Central Florida. And they made their own luck in, in a way by just exploiting, you know, I think more than usual mistakes from our defense, whether it be schematic or whether it be just execution. But I think overall, you know, they should not have had that last touchdown. That was just ridiculously um, blown. But I think realistically, you know, holding them under 30 is not necessarily too terrible. I know they're not a – it wasn't a terrible defensive performance is, is what I'm getting at. But, yeah, like we just said, there were a handful of moments where it was just pull your hair out, excruciating, you know, what are we doing? Why is that coverage blown or whatever? But I think at the same time, it was just a lot of stuff was was lining up. And I don't think it's something that you can look at and say, this is going to consistently happen because, you know, those holes in the cheese don't always line up. You know, hopefully they don't continue to line up. And um, I, I think overall, it was a pretty good performance from the defense, barring, you know, stupid things like awesome goal line stand that we immediately throw away with a, with a penalty. That was frustrating. Yeah. I, can I say this quickly, though? Like, I feel like everyone's opinion in the Big 12 and nationally of UCF is really negative and soured. But to be honest, they've really had offensively, like, two bad halves, in my opinion. And that's like, you know, the Baylor blown half. And then I guess that would be only one quarter, really, because they played three quarters right. that one stellar. And then the, the Kansas first half. Like, second half, their offense came out and fired, but Kansas' offense already done enough damage in that first half. Other than that, UCF's had a really good offense, and I'm not ready to just throw away – this performance is like, oh, you did a bad job because I think this is a good offense. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
just look at, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, look at the stats, they're like really highly ranked nationally. Like, and Gus Malzahn, you know, is a very solid offensive mind, except for on two point conversions, apparently. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's my thing with UCF. I, th- I thought played well, um, exploited us in, in moments and, you know, did enough to, you know, almost win this ball game. And I, I think offensively it's, th- this isn't, this team isn't chopped liver, you know, they, they, they have, they can perform well, you know, when, you know, opportunities are given to them like, Oh, you did, you know, missing the amount of field goals we've missed, not capitalizing off of stops early. Um, and we just, we just kind of allowed them to hang around enough to make those big impact plays, you know, 54 yard run, the 86 yard, uh, touchdown pass, uh, which I, I gotta say, by the way, yeah, it was taunting. Yeah, it should have been called back, but that's not why. Like that, that. How do I put it? Part of the rules, he Bobby. He did. And it is part of the rules, and it should have happened. But it's not the. It's not an excuse for it happening. You know, oh, it, oh, it was still OU's fault for letting it blow. Get blown. It, it, like they didn't cheat. The guy just was an idiot and got he lucky. He cooked us, yeah. And Malzahn cooked us. That was a great play call. You know, having having Plumley kind of like, you know, wander out there, look like he's running, and then pull up like that. That was sharp. Mm-hmm. That was a really good play call. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that's, you know, like it's kind of the same overarching points that, that we've touched on. You know, blown. Central Florida creating their own luck with a really good game plan that was just there to exploit, you know, as many of the mistakes that we made. Um, as possible and then you know we just had you know not I don't I, I agree with Jameson I don't think there's a Texas hangover there um, I, I think if anything there's a bye week hangover maybe there's a Red River hangover though because I think we saw it from Texas as well a little bit uh, but overall maybe just something in the water a lot of a lot of teams put up stinkers this past weekend against people they should have blown out but um, I kind of forgot where I was going with this I, I will say um you know, no matter how many times people on this podcast will try to convince you, you know, that Woody Washington is great. There he is, is susceptible to trick plays. He, he had Austin a bad game. Stogner, Austin Stogner didn't fall for any trick plays. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. That's quite a twist right there. But yeah, that, that, that not honest, a defensive like, player. That onside defensive kick that he got was so clutch. That, that that was a hell of an onside kick. Can we just give a shot? That was a very, that, very well That is like one of the kick. hardest things to receive. Like, I don't damn Jalil Farouk at all. And I know this is not talking about the defense, but it's just on topic right now. That is like the best onside kick I can think of right now. It was sharp. It was really good. There, there I was... Definitely made my heart skip a beat there. Uh, watching it in person, it was uh, a little nervy, but you know, great, great play to jump on that for sure. Um, but overall, hey, that's just about Woody. Re- respond to his Woody tough comment, game. please. Tough game. I thought it was. He's been good all season. That was a tough performance, I will say. Um, but you know, everyone gets burnt burnt once in a while. No player's perfect. I I'm not worried about him in the full ter- you know overall in the fir- full term, but. Yeah, that was a little rough, I will mm-hmm. say. Yeah, I will say his weaknesses showed a little bit in this game. Like, he does kind of play too – he, like, hand fights a little bit too much on the outside. You know, that could get us screwed over on some pass interference calls. Yeah, he got cooked a couple times. Um, We'll see how this goes. But otherwise, you know, sample size has been pretty big for him as a good cornerback. I'm not going to worry about it too much. Yeah, no, all all bits aside, he, he that happens, especially when you're put in a lot of man situations. 
Um, you know, I think Central Florida maybe saw some stuff on tape, um, not necessarily even with him, but just I, I think we're getting into the point of the season where, like you just said, we have a really, really good sample size of what people are like. And if you have a really smart game plan, you can find some stuff on tape of, oh, OU's going to trust their guys and in these situations. And I don't care who you – Richard Sherman got cooked plenty of times in, in the NFL and stuff. You know, everybody does. Tom Brady threw plenty of interceptions. You know, it's it's going to happen. And um, I, I think to some extent they just sort of – he had maybe lower than average performance. And then if you just continue to target one guy, uh, there's going to be that – you know, the statistics are going to add up and you're going to get so many big plays here and there. Because, again, same with Woody Washington. I think even you eliminate that play, uh, that one play specifically, and then I think that completely changes the perspective of his game, even though he had some other, some other moments where he struggled. Uh, but I, I will say one thing, it doesn't necessarily fit in a ton on, on the defense. And I'm sure other commenters across sports have talked about this, but I've been very happy with the rules this year for PI. I, I feel like they're letting him play a lot more. You know, I might be completely in the dark and there was some big directive on that, but it seems like every game I watch, there's a lot more hand fighting, a lot more contact allowed. Um, than in years past, which I've I've kind of enjoyed. I think it's added a a neat angle to to defense, just letting him play a little bit more. And I think Woody Washington, especially, I think that's been one of the big differentiators between past years and this year is that he can really sort of get on top of people a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if there was a directive or not, but I I think I would agree with you. I, they've let him get a little bit more physical, but. Um... Jameson, what what position group do you think did best for the Sooners on defense? Uh, I think it's linebacker. I, I think our safety room looked really weak. I was really upset about that. Um, cornerbacks could have been a little bit better. I'll give a shout-out to Kendall Dolby. He's just been playing really well this year and obviously making the big play in the two-point conversion. But I think linebackers continue to be our you know our backbone here. And Danny Stutzman, the way he plays as the leader, you know, tackling machine, continues to do this kind of stuff. You know, I was really proud of them. Um, it just seems like other than a couple of like a big plays, like the way the linebackers play the gaps and our run defense, it really helps us get ahead of the game when it comes down to second and long, third and long. Um, that's going to really help us throughout the, um, the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, it's, it's one of those positions. I feel like our linebackers are almost like so good that it's almost weirdly boring to talk about them sometimes. Cause this was just like a steady, solid performance across the board from the backers. I thought they and were McCullough, do you, do you call McCullough yeah. in this? Cause I feel like McCullough played really, really well. McCullough just keeps getting better every single week. We see him. We said that last week against Texas, of course, but he is just, we had a lot of high expectations for him. I think we were a little worried when the season started with Harrington doing as well as he did. But he is coming on strong as a really, really big uh, performer this season. I I've loved McCullough. Um, you know, one 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 group that I also also loved as well. I thought the D line was pretty solid. Uh, I thought Trace Ford had honestly a pretty good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan Downs another strong performance after his big game against Texas last week or uh, last time out. You know, with uh, six total tackles, three solos, a sack, and a TFL. I don't know. I think the D line's starting to shake up or shape up a little bit. And DeJon um, Terry too. Yeah, DeJon Terry. Incredible. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think the I'm sorry, Bobby. No, I was gonna say I think we in in the pre-Texas pods, we were talking about uh, you know wanting a lot more from the D line and, and being very concerned that you know the, 
the toughest team that we were going to face so far uh, was probably not where they were going to shape up, but it, it sure seems like coming into this one, I know overall the defense didn't necessarily have a, a super tremendous performance, but I really do feel like, um, like we're talking about, the D-line has kind of found their legs and, and are really performing, I think, better than this same D-line would have performed if this were a week two, week three game. I, I really feel like I'm not super, super upset. And and I wanted to mention on the D-line, although, you know, once we got into the fourth quarter, both defenses on, you know, both teams looked very, very gassed. Um, the D-line, I, I don't think they were, I mean, certainly compared to Central Florida's D-line, but um, they seem conditioned very well. I think if I had to pick a position group that looked more gassed than the others, surprisingly, it would not have been the D-line. Um which was definitely not has not been the case with OUD lines in the past. So, I mean, they were gassed, but it was. Uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of little pieces here and there that I, I really feel like we're trending in a very, very solid direction. And um, I, I wouldn't point very many fingers at the D line in this one. Agreed. Um, agreed. Yeah, I, I think they're starting to really come together uh, for sure. Uh, look, speaking of the D-line, though, Jameson, did you see this uh, article in Sellout Crowd uh, this weekend from Jenny Carlson about Jacob Lacey? This kind of came out uh, today or uh, earlier this week, I guess. Uh, his blood clot issues um, that he had over the summer, he uh, almost, dude almost died. And it, the fact that he's been able to play and play in a big way is really, really remarkable, honestly. I haven't seen, I mean, I haven't read the article, but I've seen the headlines from it from Jenny Carlson. And from what I heard is he had blood clots in his legs, correct? Uh, he had, pul yeah, pulmonary embolisms. So. so, yeah, and he had blood clots in his legs. So, essentially, right. they start in your legs and they shoot up to your lungs. So, that's that's the pulmonary embolisms from the, the blood clot in the leg. So, yeah, th those are things that you do not want to, like, scoff at. And there's been a lot of players in football that have had these before. Um, whether that be like, you know, some people are just born more likely to create blood clots and then also getting hit a lot in the legs can cause blood to coagulate and be more likely to get blood clots in your legs. So it's a serious issue. And let me tell you something like the way that Jacob Lacey has played this season, I feel like people have been trying to catch on to it the past couple of weeks, but he's been a great surprise. This is a guy I actually didn't think was going to be too much of a contributor for us this year coming into the offseason. So I was like, okay, you know, it's fun to get a defensive line in the transfer portal, but he wasn't doing much at Notre Dame to begin with. What's going to change if he comes to Oklahoma? That's not the case. His athleticism shows he's a playmaker. He's going out there and he's being extremely disruptive. I've been really, really like surprised and happy with him. Now, is he like a superstar? No, but let me tell you something. He's just another cog of this machine that's really making this defensive line work. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> across the board, you know, all of the portal ads have been really excellent. And, you know, they fit culture-wise. I feel like they fit the team. Um, but Lacey, definitely one of them uh, who has been just truly, truly excellent. Um, uh, okay. Uh, so I do want to bring up another new addition to the Sooners this year. And it, it feels weird to call him a new addition at this point because he keeps making big plays and you completely forget he's a freshman. Peyton Bowen, if you look at the stat line, not like a massive game, but he was hurt. Good. You know that, right? Peyton Bowen was hurt. I did yeah. not hear that. Yeah, he had lower leg injury and he was like questionable to come into this game. He was limited and didn't get a lot of snaps. Well, he he stepped up and made a difference. That sack uh, on 
I think it wasn't the last drive, obviously, but the second to last drive UCF had was was massive. Uh, his first sack of his career, I believe, as well uh, for OU. So I, I think Bowen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, that's if he's injured, that explains why he wasn't on the field much. But he just an incredible impact uh, impact player who is just genuinely making a difference, which is just nuts as a true freshman. Yeah, he reminds me. He's like the next DTY. I can see it right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> in terms of what we think of him in our high standards. But, man, it's, this guy. It's funny you bring that up. Like, he, plays like, he plays like Jamal Adams. You know, like like all he's like physical and he's athletic. He's all over the field. You know, I, I obviously it's not the most perfect comparison, but it's just he seems like he can be a game wrecker whenever he becomes a junior. Like what he's doing as a freshman, you know, there's certain people around the country right now and every single year you see it, you know, like Anthony Hill for Texas, you know, you look at that guy and you're like, that guy's going to be an absolute stud first round pick kind of guy whenever it comes his junior year for Peyton Bowen. It's hard to do as a safety, absolutely hard to do as a safety to come in and get first round draft grades, but he had the way he plays and his aggressiveness, there's going to be teams that are really, really want him in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. He, he just feels like an NFL type of guy which super special, super awesome that we have uh, players of that caliber again. But um, Ty, anything else you want to say before we move on to game balls? Yeah, no, just on, on Peyton Bowen. I mean, safety is one of those positions. It's like quarterback where it, there's a massive, massive learning curve. And, and whenever you see someone who comes in as a freshman and they're able to perform well, it's not, you know, not to discredit other positions. Obviously there's a big learning curve with everything, but it's, it's not like being a receiver, um, you know, where you can come in and, and get some some garbage time and, and look pretty amazing as a freshman. Obviously, there's garbage time for everyone, but um, his performance has been very, very, very good. And, and with the development I think that he's going to get with this team and with this defensive-minded coaching staff and the games that we're going to be playing in, it's going to be very exciting to see where he goes because his starting point is already so far ahead, especially for what we're used to with, with OU teams. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that point about the starting point of like, he's going to get better. This is, he's not a finished product yet is so exciting to uh, see. And I'm pumped. They definitely got the right guys in there uh, to say the least to, you know, develop it into just an awesome talent. So, all right, let's move into game balls for the defense. Uh, Jameson, I'll let you start on this one. Who, who do you have? It's Danny, and it's just not really much to talk about it. He just did his job. He just, same old Danny Stutzman moves. I, I feel like no one stood out enough to take that role from him. So I think that's the game ball for me. Um, hmm. Is it my turn? It, sure, man. Sure. Go for it. Sure. I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead. We'll give it to DTY 2.0, Peyton Bowen. He gets the game. He barely even played is the thing. I know Bobby. I, I will say. To give it to him too. Like, no, I, no, 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 no. No, I was going to give mine to actual I'll DTY. Change. Oh. I'll change mine. Yeah. Because Peyton I'll, Bowen I'll probably change. watched some film of DTY. And it inspired him. I'll change mine because some people might might get confused. and played and think five that... snaps. What well, look five snaps at okay. the seventy-five. I get confused because sometimes if I pick the same thing as you, you throw a big fit, and then other times I try to that's make an different. That's different. That's completely different. And this is the game ball. Oh, well, okay. Um, well, also, he, okay. He played five snaps, but had two tackles and five snaps, and one of them was a was a was a sack, like a game-saving sack. So there you go. 
but also, but also, I see what you're, I see what you're yeah. saying. I, so I'll, I'll change mine real quick because I, I think some people had a game that he didn't. Um, but John Reese Plumley, gotta give it to him, uh, was not good. John Reese Plumley, in fact, um, gave OU the game, arguably. I don't know. Plum dog millionaire. I, I, feel, I feel like he's pretty decent, but whatever. I, for him, I yeah, thought he was okay. Played, he played good for him. Yes, yes, I, you're right. In comparison to what I expected, I was making jokes about him on on the pod last week, and I was honestly, he was, he was good. He was good. He was pretty all right. He was pretty all right. Yeah. Um, the real answer is Danny Stutzman. If I wanted to be funny, I would say like I don't know Gus John or Gus Johnson, Gus Miles. <laughs> yes, for, there it is, Gus Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even comment this game. <laughs> Calling a different game. Do me us into Big Noon. How dare you? <laughs> we, uh, dude, we're so screwed for Big Noons. Uh, uh, getting but, too um, political again. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. No, it's um, I could I could say Miles on for that. No, now you're making it one, James. <laughs> no, it's Malzahn. I I could say Malzahn because of that two point convert. Like that was the worst two point conversion call I've ever seen. Genuinely hilarious. Um, d- why why are you running into flats with this team? It's it's a horrible horrible decision. Uh, but no, it's Stutzman all the way. Workman like performance, just solid effort. Um, nineteen or our good pal, nineteen eighty two Boomer Sooner. Uh, He's saying he, he's saying he'll be in Orlando as a uh, Butkus finalist. I love it. He also called, referred to him as the stutter bug, and I kind of I, I don't know if I I don't know if, how much I love that fully, but I kind of love it. I I, I like it. I, I yeah, I'll co-sign the stutter bug. That's that's a fun that's a fun nickname. Uh, but yeah, Setsman. Uh, so look, but we usually just talk special offense, Steve. We got to talk special teams. Yes, we got to talk special teams because whoop nope. There we go. Because it's it's a real problem. <laughs> a real, real problem. Uh one of three from look, Zach Schmidt, one of three from uh, you know, shooting shooting on the field. God, uh kicking <laughs> field goals. Uh <laughs> I'm all over the place, man. This is from 38. NBA and season on Tuesday, baby. I know. I got I got ball on my I got hoops on my mind. He's got ball uh, on the brain. Ball on the brain. I've got basketball Jones, man. Uh, but no, 38 and 43. Like just continued not greatness. Uh, this is one you just can't fix. Um, they look. I, I don't know. His extra points look miserable too. They go whap and right into the like into the um into the upper. Oh my god, Bobby, help me with words. Help me into the upper, goalpost. Yeah, the uprights. What, what, the uprights. Yeah, the uprights is the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> I don't Bobby's know if you need to pull like his basketball analogies in <laughs> the backboard. <laughs> the key. That's, that's a, that's a tough it. call there partner <laughs> this ain't it and i i'm i'm worried because like we've already had to bench our punter thank god el zinga came in he actually had a good game el zinga's you know? actually maybe legit el zinga is significantly better than plaster and yes. if we see plaster again then i will be pretty mad i don't know what it, happened in to like plaster winning the job please tell me he just punts better during practice because i don't know how he lasted that long whenever it was truly an or situation on the depth chart from with him and elzinga because thank god they finally moved on because plaster either has like a he's extremely scared and he barely even kicks the ball during games and he can actually he's got a rocket in practice or he just sucks so punting seems to be a little bit better 
but kicking is going to be a huge deal. Like it's just a big, big deal for us because we can laugh about it right now. But whenever we get into big time games, you need a kicker so bad. If we're driving in that Texas game and say if we got stopped and it was like, you know, a tie game and there's we got a kick from the 45 yard line. I mean, I'm mean, from the 45 yard field goal. Do you feel confident in the slightest? What do you what would you give the odds? Like a 20 to 30 percent for a 45 yard field goal right yeah, now? That's, that's how good. I feel. And 40, yeah. It look yeah. if we had a 45 game winner to to like clinch it and we had to nail a 45 yard field goal. I would pray that the other team would ice us so I'd have time to go bet the live line that we would lose. Well, I, it's, I it's mean it's just not it. His miss against Texas, like it, it didn't look bad on TV, but it was so, so bad in person. Uh, from our angle, it, was, it just it, it just was dying and it just hung up there forever. It was so bad, man. It was hittable range, though. And, and then both the ones in, in this game should be, I mean, they're not close, but those should be pretty automatic yeah. uh, field goals. And it's just, again, we should have had 37 points here would completely change the the character of the game um, going forward. You know, you think butterfly effect, obviously anything could occur, but, you know, you can get into the offense sort of putting us in the situation early where we were kicking these field goals and like the first quarter, second quarter uh, is when these misses occurred. But this is, this is something that, you know, like Jameson sort of touched on. If we're looking forward, you know, knock on wood, not to jinx anything, but if we're looking forward to a game in December or, you know, games in December or something like that, um, that's a big issue. I mean, it, it was already a big issue that we didn't hit that one at Texas. I mean, that completely changed the character of that game and, and put us in a situation where we had to grind it out when maybe we wouldn't have had to. And then this one, again, I think, you know, obviously we won either way with two misses, but it maybe didn't have to be as hard and look as bad on the final score as it did. If we hit some stuff that should be pretty automatic. Um, and this one is just a big, you know, question mark for me really. Cause I, I don't know that finding someone to replace that is all yeah. that hard. Do you want to bench um, him right now? Ty? We've, Do we we've done him? it before? I would. I mean, I would. Yeah. yeah is it Gavin Marshall time? Redshirt freshman. I don't know who that is. I, I would pull this guy's scholarship. I'd cut him. Ah. I mean, maybe not that far, but like, I, I mean, we've seen it happen in the past. You know, Jimmy Stevens being as bad as he was at one point got pulled and we put in Patty O'Hara. Um, so shout out to Patrick O'Hara, the kicker I could name, but somehow completely forgot, you know, uh, Austin. Oh, God. Oh, my God. How am I? Cybert. Cybert. Oh, you shouldn't have bailed him out. No, no, no. He didn't. He didn't. I I got to it faster. Uh, Yeah. Cybert. Cybert. God. (laughs) I did. I totally did. (laughs) Let's let's go to the replay. It's like the commercials going on right now. We need to go to the replay. (laughs) We don't need it. We don't need to go to the replay. (laughs) No. Um, I I think the moral of the story is we need to bench him. It's just straight up is like that because confidence for a kicker is such a big deal. And let me tell you something. If he's missing and he's continuing to miss like he has on multiple occasions, his confidence is shot and the overall fans confidence of him is shot. There's not much else for him to do. Really. We need to move on. He's not like this was a, you know, a really good kicker that we've had. And we knew he was a known commodity and he's in a slump. You know, this is not the Gabe Burkich burrito slump where he's doing poor. He was not, Zach Schmidt was not doing good last year. He had bad moments last year. 
Oh yeah, no, there's I mean, nothing. He, there's nothing to lean back on here. It's time to move on. He lost us games last year. Well, not lost us games. He lost for other reasons, but we he didn't help. Uh, he was mm-hmm. something we needed to overcome, and that's just in the era of the transfer portal. It's kind of insane that we have a guy this this bad. But you know, I don't know. Portal someone in. This sucks. Uh, people, there are people who can kick. So yeah, you know, you're ready to eat. learn Chinese, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the basket. It's a basketball funny. reference. No, I, I get it. I, to, no, I know it's not for you. <laughs> it's for political again. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it's a Shanghai Sharks reference. No, no, no. I'm not going to send we, him to a camp or something. I, oh god. <laughs> God. We uh, get ready to learn the iPhone right, manual, buddy. Jameson, record music, please. Time, time for your segment, Jameson. Let's get out of here. Jamison. Yes. What is this, Jamison? This is a rooted corner with Jamison. Every morning, dancing. Oh, that's nice. You're exactly right. That's nice. Y'all haven't heard that in a while. It feels good to be back. And we really need to talk about some Cruton as we had some recent commits. And honestly, I feel like we got some things cooking right now. So let's kind of dive into the Cruton game right now. I know Bobby's got a graphic for Devin Jordan out of Union. Kind of falling in line of more Union players now starting to look and coming to OU. I'm liking it. You know, we're starting to get our grasp back on Oklahoma, especially in the Tulsa area, you know, 2024 is good, but at the same time, 2025, like, goodness gracious, we are just controlling this. You know, he's a long corner, something that we really don't have in this class yet. Cornerback is probably our weakest position. So he's a long corner. He's got the tools. You know, he will be a fun guy to watch to see if he develops throughout his time um, coming into this Oklahoma football team. Was a good get. I'm really excited. But there's a lot more going on here in the recruiting world. Just quickly, let me just kind of talk about guys that are coming in, um, in the future that we can talk about. I think Grant Bricks is a, is a guy that we've been talking about for a while. Offensive lineman is coming down in between us and Nebraska, and it seems like the momentum is starting to push a little bit more towards the Oklahoma side. I understand there's a whole video that was posted of him just jogging on the field a couple weeks ago that made him look really unathletic, and all the OU fans were clowning him for it. But this dude is still a really damn good offensive lineman, and I understand whenever you say Oklahoma versus Nebraska, is this really that big of a win? This will be a big win for us. So Grant Bricks, another guy that Oklahoma is really excited about um, coming down the line. Um, Pierre Louis, another offensive lineman from Florida. It seems like we've been hearing about his name for a while now. Um, he continues to be an OU favorite. I think we're just playing the waiting game with him. And then lastly, and I'm, I'm leaving out a lot of players here, but Reggie Powers um, is a name that's kind of caught a lot of steam from this from this weekend. Came and visited. He's a, he's a four-star safety out of Ohio. Visited this weekend, even after Michael Boganowski um, got the commitment. Michael Boganowski, um, he's going to be a cheetah. He's going to be a cheetah for us, the way he is. He's a linebacker safety hybrid. So like, oh, why are we getting another safety in this class whenever we just got Boganowski? No, they, they, they play two different positions here. Reggie Powers came in, really liked the vibe. He got fonged the other day. Look for Reggie Powers' commitment coming up here soon. It shouldn't be too much more time. Yeah. Um, all about Reggie Powers, obviously. Um, very highly ranked guy, but I feel like – a lot of people might sleep on, you know, two of the other people we've talked about um, who just committed. 
I love OU's like kind of focus and dominance of Oklahoma recently. Uh, taking back the state, you know, getting Devin Jordan focus, trying to build a foothold in Tulsa again, something we've talked about a lot, just mm-hmm. did not exist in the Lincoln Riley and le- uh, later Bob Stoops eras. Um, doing like having an emphasis on that massive, you know, Devin Jordan being the fourth uh, highest recruit in the state of Oklahoma. Um, and then getting the number one player out of Kansas, you know, focusing on the region again. Britt Venables loving Kansas, apparently. Well, for yeah, obvious reasons, home state. Yeah, it's been unreal. It's been unreal. But Boganowski being the number one, um, you know, recruit from the state of Kansas, which hilariously pissed off a lot of uh, KU and uh, K State fans, of course. Um, I don't know. It just feels like OU has been very strong in that. It 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 just in the whole. Uh, we've always been good in Texas, but now we're like really locking down this, you know, Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri area, you know, um, that kind of, I would say quad state, but we don't really do anything in Arkansas, but uh, that sort of, that sort of area. I feel like we've been making a lot of hay and putting a lot of focus in. I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, this class right now in 2024, isn't this most pop off, the page class that we really hoped it would be in the off season, but all in all, I'm really happy with what it is. And there's still some big wins in it, even though there's some losses along the way, I feel like we're almost done here and it's October, but that's what happens whenever you have Brent Venables kind of recruiting style where um, you can play the game, but as soon as you commit here, you can't take any more visits. It really pinches people to commit a little bit earlier, not play it all the way till December. So that's why you're seeing right now, I'd say we got like three or four more people coming into this class and then it's done. Yeah, yeah. which is great. Very, very good stuff. We got 27 people right now, which is, is already a freaking huge class. But in the in the transfer portal era, you're just going to see more and more of these bigger schools taking more recruits because you know that there's going to be a big exodus coming mm-hmm. into the next season. At, at any point. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. I think that's all I have for Cruton. Um, Ty, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Two, one, this is kind of an open question, maybe for for Jameson, maybe for the viewers. But um, I did. I think Lincoln Riley maybe just never even got a Pike pass, and he just couldn't even make it. (laughs) And maybe that's why. But um, on a more serious note, I I think it is interesting seeing this. Obviously, Venable's deep Kansas connections. But as y'all were saying that, I started to think, you know, Missouri saw a fairly decent recruiting boom football wise when they moved up to the SEC. And then the, you know, the very, very Midwest states, um, traditionally they've had a lot of, you know, big powerhouses with, uh, you know, Nebraska, especially obviously playing in, in the big 10 now and everything else. But with a lot of those schools, I think not being that amazing. Obviously, these states are, are a little smaller. You know, Nebraska is not a huge population. Kansas is not a huge population. Um, Missouri, you know, a bigger population, but not a whole lot of big uh, programs there. I almost feel like there there is a lot of really high-level talent, you know, not as much as there is out in California or Texas or Florida. But, you know, there's still a lot of really high-level talent that's maybe getting a little overlooked and maybe doesn't have a, a whole lot of options there And OU. You know, moving to the SEC, not not to continue to to harp on that talking point, Trump. But if you look at, you know, is Oklahoma in the Midwest or is it not? But if you look at sort of those those great plain states running up the middle, I mean, it, it's going to be hard to to turn that down, especially with OU actively recruiting up in those states now and, and just sort of looking to vacuum people up versus you know waiting on interest here and there. It's it's definitely a neat little niche 
in the recruiting market as we continue to, you know, expand in Texas, expand in Florida um, and everything else. But it is, it is cool to see uh, recruits coming from, you know, Tulsa, especially, but uh, coming from those Midwestern states, as well as we leverage those points of maybe some of the traditional schools up there being not as, as relevant, you know, not dogging on any conferences or anything else, but maybe being not as relevant and then not getting you the brightest lights to play in. Uh, that, that's a really cool angle that I see us taking there. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up Missouri, but Exhibit A is actually Texas A&M. You know, being the farthest out west as you can and going into the SEC is a big deal because people care about proximity to home. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you go in and you go play versus SEC opponents. Even though people are saying like, oh, OU is going to get clowned in the SEC. Yeah, we're going to lose more games straight up. But guess what? You're going to get better players because if you look NFL draft day, the players that play in the SEC, they're always, you know, they're going to get drafted more often. It's just as simple as that because scouts can go like, oh, they played against the best, the best. They played against guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. Therefore, I believe that in their ability to go out there and continue to do what they did in college. But, you know, there's sometimes they look at other players that are in like lesser competitive conferences and we're like i don't know if this is just the sample size of college and can they can can they translate this to the nfl i'm mm-hmm. going to go take the known commodity who's played against higher competition um versus someone that's a little bit more of a risk right right no i, I, I agree people with will notice this and it's going to be a huge, no, huge sure. competitive edge for as it already is yeah. and it already is because these guys right now are going to be sec only it's as simple as that so this 2024 yeah. class and even also with last year's class with jackson arnold you know, those guys are saying, I'm going to be playing the majority of my ball as an SEC um, football player. And Texas and Oklahoma are getting a huge recruiting edge because of it. Right. And I mean, Texas A&M, you know, and I don't want to turn it into the conversation, the whole macro recruiting thing. Their advantage is about to just be gone. Uh, Texas A&M was money. so popular because of money. And they're the only team in Texas in the SEC. And that is they still have money, but they're not the they're not the only team in Texas. I mean, they're not, not the only ones with money anymore. They have more money than us, but they can't win because they are have clearly a, a, a totally disastrous culture right now. Jimbo Fisher isn't fixing anything. And now they're losing that. They're, now they're they're gonna lose out on recruits to OU in Texas because they're bigger brands, better programs. Maybe not Texas. I don't know. Texas has gotten there. Uh, but o- Oklahoma sure as hell is. And I, I mean, it's going to be a huge advantage in the in the Midwest, though, because it's like, well, you could go to Iowa or, you know, Nebraska or K-State, Kansas, whatever. You would rather play in the SEC every day of the week. And that's that's going to be the edge. Um, you can play in the SEC, play close to home. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big dump for you going forward. Um, all right. I want to move into Kansas. Woo! Yeah. But, My favorite game but, of the year. Oh. Yes, oh. but uh, Jameson, I did want to say during, while we while we were potting overall, uh, you know, we're not a Texas podcast, but Quinn Ewers uh, has apparently suffered an AC joint sprain and is throwing shoulder. Oh, okay. So our good old friend in 1982 scared me in the chat um, and said ACL sprain. Okay, it's an AC <laughs> joint sprain. Okay, that's that's different. Okay, yeah. so Quinn Ewers, and if you guys remember, whenever he was playing versus Alabama last year, had the SC joint sprain, which is a more serious form of this. An AC joint sprain is the same injury that Drake Stoops had. So there's different levels of this. I need to know more about what level of degree this AC um, sprain is. If it's a grade one, it's probably going to be like out a week, especially as a quarterback, and then slowly come back. But if it's a grade two as a quarterback, honest, is, is it his right side? 
Do you know, Bobby? It's his throwing shoulder. Yes. Yeah, so if it's a grade two, this is a significant injury for a quarterback. Um, that's well, going to hold him out for three-ish, four-ish weeks. So yeah. um, I'm curious to see how this goes. Um, Arch Manning, I guess, ain't going to play either way, so it doesn't matter. Right. It would probably probably Malik be Murphy, the, right? Malik Murphy, yeah. Um, and it's the same injury that Bradford had when he had his kind of separated shoulder against BYU and then re-aggravated against Texas. Uh, 1982 brought that up as well in the chat. So um, anyways, yeah. just had to bring that up seemed pretty important in terms of the overall scope of college football and you know didn't seem like it would have a, make sense in the weekend spread let's talk kansas though uh 7 the 7 and 4-0 in big 12 play sooners head to lawrence who are five and two uh two and two in big 12 play look ku is off of a bye week this is their homecoming and apparently they always daniels, do this apparently jalen daniels will be healthy but how how much can we trust that I mean, coming off a of bye week, you've got to believe it. Um, but, I mean, who knows? He could have a mysterious back injury again. Who knows what this guy's doing the night before games? Really? Well, like, I, can't, I can't tell you. And then there's some rumor that he might be trying to sit out so he can redshirt and get NIL and transfer somewhere. I, I'm, I'm not a subscriber to that belief. <laughs> They're 5-2. and two. Yeah. Uh, hey, some yeah. they were saying Caleb Williams should sit out because they're five and two. Okay. So. Yeah, Acho. <laughs> no, that's not yeah. <laughs> that's a it's wild take, but people are discussing that in, in the wider college football sphere. This is also the same Caleb Williams that decided to play in the bowl game after Lincoln Riley left. So do you really think that he's gonna be the type of dude to sit out? I, I, I think this that is exhibit. No, I, I'm talking in, more in story the... for that, but we obviously need to get back into Kansas yeah. talk. Sorry. I don't want to get off on the yeah. stage. I, I don't want to cut you off Ty. but this is like hour 13 and we need to talk Kansas. Right. And oh, sorry, yeah. Ty, 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 no, we can't, no, no, mean? you're right. We <laughs> cannot talk Kansas and quarterbacks without talking about the bean. And that's what we need to talk. About. And you're right. the, so look, if the bean plays, I, as much as I love Jason bean, I'm not too worried about, uh, Kansas here. He's obviously given our defense issues in the past, different defense, um, different year. Uh, this KU offense has shown that it can be potent, but under Bean, it's just not the same. We saw it against Oklahoma state. They just didn't, they were sputtering a bit. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't think they have the zip Daniels though. Scares me. We have not seen that uh, last year. It was keep in mind. It was Bean because Daniels was hurt. Ooh. Um, so, yeah, Daniels has to give you some concern there if he plays because he is a hell of a player. Uh, probably, probably well rested if he's getting back after the bye week and everything. But I don't know, Jameson. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's as simple as that. This is going to test our defense, and even if it is Jason Bean, you can say like, "Oh, I'm just going to brush it off." Jason Bean has still gone out there in this Kansas offense and put up big time numbers. Yeah, he's turning the ball over a little bit more than what you've seen with Jalen Daniels. And does he can he extend the plays like the best way that Jalen Daniels does? No, um, but still, like either way, this Kansas offense is going to give us fits, and I feel like. Like I said earlier in this podcast, it's going to feel like a similar game to UCF and maybe a little bit more on the offensive side and a little bit less on the defensive side. So I think what it really comes down to here is Kansas is going to score points and they're going to make our defense look foolish on a couple of plays because that's what they've done the whole year with every single opponent they've had. What it really comes down to is the opposite side of that is can our offense go out there and we need to score over 35 simple as that. And if we don't score over 35, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, 
to be fair, Kansas did not look really good at all against Texas. They were 0 for 8 on third downs, uh, you know, 14 points, only had 11 first downs in the entire game. So th- there's a blueprint out there um, for a good team. I mean, my read on this Kansas team is, yeah, if we make mistakes, they're there to exploit them no matter who is is at the quarterback. But I, I think this Kansas team is, is a very brittle team. I think they are very, very strong against inferior opponents. But if something out there breaks them, they snap. And, you know, I think we saw that uh, maybe a little bit against Oklahoma State, you know, not to dive into the schedule analysis, but then we definitely saw it against against Texas. And I, I think we've kind of, the blueprint is out there to do what we need to do against this Texas, this Kansas team. Um, you know, talked about seeing it with Texas. And if our secondary can step up, and, and play a better game than they did last week, I think Kansas will really struggle to hang with our offense, even if it is pretty anemic, um, if, if we sort of tighten up some of the things that we saw last week. I mean, I think if we put up if we put up over 30 points, I think you're already getting into territory where Kansas needs to be worried about whether or not they can keep it within one score. Yeah. I mean, it – Kansas's offense, and Jamison mentioned this earlier, if they turn the ball over, if you see bad Kansas like that, this OU defense is one that has taken a lot, like really capitalized off mistakes, capitalized on turn takeovers and or takeovers, turnovers, takeaways. And as you as we all know, like painfully well, you can't really plan on that being your strategy. Those can be a little random, but if they are prone to them and you take advantage of them. I think this OU team uh, can perform pretty well if they have been in. But it's, uh, again, I think you have to prepare for Daniels, who is just an absolute. I mean, as someone who has seen a lot of OU football, every time I see a dual threat quarterback, it scares the crap out of me. Jason Bean's a dual threat quarterback. Yeah, but he's less of a threat. That's <laughs> like so, wait, so is so is Emory Jones. J- Jameson's trying to get back on the Bean Squad approved list for for the weekend spread on Wednesday. The the two pods are bleeding into each other. Can here. I can I defend Jason Bean though? Because that Texas game, obviously, I understand. You look at the way that they play Texas, and I it was a less than stellar offensive performance. But also, that was the game where Jalen Daniels was just a mystery, and Lance Leipold didn't even know he wasn't going to be playing that like right. until like right before, like a super funky thing that doesn't make any sense. But still, that's quite a difference in terms of your game planning whenever you have a last-second thing like that happen. So, I mean, I don't know how much of a data point that truly is. Yeah, I don't think it's a one-to-one, but, I mean, I'm, you know, just... Either way, I think I think this Kansas offense, Jason B. nor Jalen Daniels, are still a potent offense that OU is going to have some troubles with, where there are going to be some plays, even with Jalen Daniels in there, that we're going to look good because we've looked good this season overall. But there's, like... What we saw versus UCF, there's going to be some plays where they're going to be some breakthroughs and they're going to make big plays because Kansas's offense and Lance Leipold, the way he has it set up, there's a lot of really good schemes that get players open. Right, and Leipold's a hell of a coach. That that too. Um, I, I gotta ask Jameson, where would you rank this Kansas offense uh, out of every out of I, I guess the other seven offenses we've played so far this season? Okay, so I guess I would put them at number two. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, what? So what? So obviously, Texas being the number one here, and then I guess your argument would be Central Florida and SMU, 
as kind of your your criteria for the other ones there. I, I don't yeah. think there's really much of an argument. I think Kansas is a much better offense than um, SMU, and I think that they showed head-to-head that they're a better offense than UCF. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think KU probably is the second-best offense we will it's, play. I think it is. I'm not going to even put a problem yeah. anymore in it. No, I, I agree. I, there's no ors there. I think they're just straight straight up, too. And I'm not trying to disrespect them. I just think under Bean, it's a totally different setup. It's, it it's is. not they're, – they're, they still have the workings of it. He just can't execute it the way that Daniels can. Daniels, I'm if Daniels is in. I I'm legitimately pretty scared about this one. I think like oh, you would be you know on kind of you know letdown watch. Um, obviously, they've shown that they can you know be weak, and I don't want to go ahead and say it, but I have a feeling that you know usually when you have everything perfectly set up, there's always a always a wrinkle in there somewhere where something wrong goes something mm. goes wrong one, i don't know last... if it happens against kansas but mm. this is this feels like it a danger zone moment for you yeah i i think we should be on alert one last thing um on this kansas talk from my side i think that this is a game where i hope we can get a hundred plus yard rusher from the running back and i i think that is the biggest key for us to look at this game if you look at kansas the past three games ollie gordon absolutely worked them in 168 yards um, for Oklahoma State. The game before that, even in this horrible game that UCF played, they still had 133 yards from their from the running back on RJ Harvey. The game before that, Jonathan Brooks put up 218 yards on them. We have an opportunity here from Gavin Sajak or Marcus Major to go out there and make a big time performance. And that's what my biggest key, just in terms of not winning this game, just in terms of the big picture for Oklahoma, can they go out and get a big time play from a running back this weekend? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be. You got it. Yeah, I was just going to say, even, you know, ignoring big time plays, again, if we can just establish that run, I mean, that's going to be the script to to sort of smother this Kansas team, so to speak. If they, if we can just extend the clock, extend drives out, prevent them from getting us off the field, even if we're, you know, not great at converting into points, I think if we can just play time of possession, with the offense on them, the defense is going to be able to make plays. Again, that's not something that you want to rely on, but I think regardless of who's out there, um, I, I think the defense is going to make plays. I think realistically you should expect this defense to create a turnover, whether that's a fumble, which we've seen up from Kansas. I feel like a decent bit this year when I've been watching them or an interception, um, You know, regardless of who the quarterback is. But I feel like if we can establish the run enough to play time possession, and I'm not even, I'm not even expecting big run plays, but if we can just inch our, you know, our average yard per carry over five, because I think it's sitting somewhere around four. If you take uh, DG out, maybe even is lower than four. It might be four with DG, if I remember right. But if we can move our yards per carry, I think even up to like five or six, uh, you really change you know, what this Kansas team is able to do against us in a full game scenario. Yeah, uh, it's it's a prime opportunity. Kansas's defense is not very good at all. Um, so this is, this is a good place to kind of build some building blocks for, you know, a really successful good running game. I, I, I really want to see that as well. Uh, but. Can, I, can I make a programming note real quick as we wrap up things? Because I look more into the Ewers thing. And it's a grade yeah. two. So this is a serious thing. This should be, he should be out for like a month plus, like 
it's maybe Ooh. three weeks, but I, I think four, four plus weeks here um, for when yours. So this That's... is a big, big deal in terms of the big 12 um, looking at Texas. I mean, I don't know from y'all's point of view, but I'm actually cheering for Texas because I kind of want to play them again, just in terms of competitiveness. I know usually we try to get the easiest road and just get to the playoffs and get across the finish line. To be honest, I kind of want to test ourselves. Is that is that greedy? I, for me, I I never want to. Um, I don't know. I, I never want to root for Texas for anything, or you know, kind of like hope for their success. I feel like that's playing with fire a little bit. Um, I would be incredibly hyped for that. I think I'd be more hyped for that than playing like K state or Iowa state. Uh, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I know too, all too well that the second you start kind of rooting for an outcome or rooting for something, it, it'll go right against you. Um, so I, I see where you're coming from, but I, I personally, if they fell off, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too bummed out. The two funniest things possible in all of college football this year, one has already occurred, that's Colorado beating TCU and then turning out to be frauds is still so hilarious to me. Um, but the second funniest thing would absolutely be OU and Texas playing in against each other in the final Big 12 championship game yeah. that they're both in, especially when we're both such a tier above um, – everyone else I, I will say that i want texas to continue to perform well I, I think we'll beat them again if we play them in december if we continue to develop because i don't think that they're necessarily developing um at the rate that we are you know no matter what you say about what caused us to win the game against them the first time i, I think we're out developing them at a rate where it, it, we should be the, the much better team by all regards going into december i'll also say that this is maybe 50% a bit, 50% not, but I hope that if we go play Texas in December that we're playing Ewers. I've seen Ewers. I'm not scared of Ewers. I don't think anyone should be. Um, he's thrown picks against a lot of teams. He just, I think there's a lot of marketing, a lot of hype there. I would be more worried about some other random quarterback uh, than I would Quinn Ewers. So I hope best case scenario for OU is that we get to play Quinn Ewers again um, because I don't know. I think he might be the Drake May of the West. Oh, the Drake May of the West. Hey, you oh, okay? There will be no more defending no, of Drake funny. May. I'm not defending Drake May. <laughs> he was horrible. <laughs> Look, if you lose to UVA, yeah, you 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 deserve every you deserve every bit of slander coming your way. That is the Mac Brown experience, if I've ever <laughs> seen it. It's just the peak Mac Brown. You know, have a great season, lose to one and five UVA, one of the worst teams in FB in Power Five. It's just. Ma Hilarious. Mac Brown coaching is the guy who sets up his dynasty on NCAA 14, plays like the first six games, just blows everyone out, and then is like, all right, I can sim. I can sim this next <laughs> game. And he sims the game and they lose. That's He's exactly like, what happened here. It's like, I don't know. I'll press the sim here. button. Yeah. <laughs> all right. It's got to reload my file. Um, yeah. No, I think that's all we got for, for today, though. Uh, any final thoughts before we? Head on out, guys. No. Nope. No, let's wrap I'm, this up. But go, Ty, you got it. I was going to say, in closing, um, you know, this is, I guess we didn't touch on it really against Iowa State, uh, but it is it is nice to be playing, a, you know, a traditional Big 12 um, opponent in our last season in the Big 12. You know, not a bit. It's, it, it is nice to be playing Kansas because there's no history. There's no meaning really in beating 
um, a lot of these teams that we've beaten so far. And then obviously Texas, the series continues. But it is nice for, I guess, really the, only the second time this season that we're going to be playing a traditional Big 12 opponent that we won't play again. Well, I mean, we've played more. We've played twice as many American teams from last year as we have Big 12 teams from last year. So, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, yeah, uh, it, it is cool to see Kansas again. Um, I'm I'm sending them off. I'm going up to Lawrence for this one. Have to redeem myself for the last time I went uh, and really soak soak up that experience. But um, yeah, if you're feeling nostalgic, you know, check out that uh, our Bye Bye Big Twelve on KU. Talk about them for a good while, and you know, um, some good basketball talk too. Yeah, great basketball talk. And people forget, like Kansas has more wins against Oklahoma in football than Iowa State, Oklahoma State, K State. Obviously, all of the um, uh, teams who joined from the Southwest Conference in the 90s, uh, other than Texas. Um, yeah, they, they, they have had success against OU in the past. So um, definitely a pretty cool, unique, weird uh, series there. So uh, looking forward to going back to Lawrence, sending them off. And uh, yeah. But all right. That is it for this edition of the Schooner Pod. We'll be back on Wednesday to pick our games for the weekend spread. That should be a fun one. You know, the standings have narrowed, to say the least. Me and Blake just looked awful. Blake, uh, I thought he was about to go over. Blake Blake was very close to, to going over, which would have been the ultimate rags for riches to rags again story. You know, going full, you know, Steve <laughs> Martin the lottery the and blew it right away. <laughs> yeah, literally going Steve Martin from the jerk on that one. It just... You know, making it all, then blowing it, just full full 180. Um, but no. Um, anyways, it should be a fun one, to say the least. Uh, got, got a couple good games on that slate. So uh, make sure to tune in at 7.30 p.m. Central on Wednesday for that. But other than that, this has been the Scoot Pod. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a good week, everybody. Boomer sooner, everyone. <laughs>